Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the QuietMark podcast. I'm your host, Simon Gosling, CMO at QuietMark. And QuietMark is the independent global certification program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. Through scientific testing and assessment, QuietMark identifies the quietest products in multiple categories spanning many sectors, including home appliances and technology, building sector materials, and commercial sector products. It's Wednesday the 12th of May, as I record the introduction to this show, and on the BBC website, under the headline COVID, what's the roadmap for lifting lockdown? It informs us that lockdown rules are easing across much of the UK from Monday 17th of May. But what about the return to office work? Looking at the CIPD website, it states that as businesses work towards reopening, in part or full, and mindful of restrictions and advice which continue to change, Employers must plan for any return to the workplace in a way that cares for their people and safeguards their health and well-being. So thankfully, at long last, it would appear that we're returning to some form of normality. Nevertheless, will things be the same as they were before? You only have to look at the financial news headline from January that states that a Deloitte survey found that 32% of workers are expected to work remotely after pandemic-related lockdowns have ended. People have become very used to working from home. Many don't want to return to the stress that comes with commuting and prefer the flexibility that working from home offers. However, of course, in some lines of work, it's important to have that interaction and to be able to collaborate in ways that just can't be done online. And as the CIPD report stated, employers are going to have to make changes within the workspace to entice people out of their homes and show to them that improvements have been made which take into consideration the workers' well-being. As we've discussed on many previous episodes of this podcast, when you improve the acoustic comfort of a building, you increase the sense of well-being that that space brings to its occupants. In February last year, QuietMark launched its Acoustics Academy, a free-to-use online platform to further equip and empower architects, builders and designers with a guide to expertly verified leading acoustic solutions for every building application area. Upon visiting the Acoustics Academy, available at acousticsacademy.com, the user is invited to select a building type. One such sector is called commercial, in which you'll find retail spaces such as restaurants and stores, fitness and well-being areas like gymnasiums and swimming pools, and also offices. And when you visit that office section, be it category A or category B, you're invited to browse through a selection of products which improve office acoustics and reduce unwanted noise. Those products range from walls to floors to doors to ceilings to vents and we've recently just added acoustic lighting and acoustic furniture from a company called Buzzy Space. So, with Return to Work being in the news headlines and Buzzy Space being the newest member of the Acoustics Academy, it made sense to make the topic of today's show Return to Work and Improving Acoustics in the Office Environment. Joining us to discuss this, we have a couple of wonderful expert guests, Axel Enthoven, founder of Yellow Window Design, and Richard Ellerbeck, Global Acoustic Consultant at Buzzy Space. So let's start with a bit of information about Axel Enthoven. Axel Enthoven was born on the 16th of August 1947 in Antwerp. Following secondary school in Antwerp, he studied industrial design at the Academy for Industrial Design in Eindhoven and went on to qualify at the Japanese design school, the Salesian Technical College in Tokyo. Later, he studied engineering in Cleveland, Ohio. Practical work placements were undertaken in Germany, Poland and the Netherlands, and he also contributed to the Apollo project in the United States. Since 1970, he has worked as an independent designer, becoming visiting professor in 1972 at the Product Development Department of the National Higher Institute for Architecture and Urbanism in Antwerp. 
1976, he founded an independent agency, the firm Idea NV, Industrial Design Enthoven Axel. In January 1990, Idea changed its name into Enthoven Associates Design Consultants, a partnership. Increasingly, though, Enthoven Associates grew into an independent agency dealing with product development and innovative research in many different areas of industry. Conception, development and follow-up of a design study are amongst their activities. To date, more than 1,900 products have been designed by Enthoven Associates, ranging from medical equipment to furniture to bus, tram, train design. Enthoven Associates has performed industrial design activities in the EU, USA, Canada, Japan, Korea, Thailand, Malaysia, Brazil and Mexico. Furthermore, Axel Enthoven and the Enthoven Associates team have been awarded various prizes, including some Red Dot Design Awards and IF Design Awards. Since 1989, Axel Enthoven has been Professor and Head of the Department of Man and Mobility at the Academy for Industrial Design in Eindhoven, the Netherlands. In 2001, Enthoven Associates merged with Yellow Window Management Consultants to extend its spectrum of activities to services to aid decision-making. This development has made Yellow Window what it is today, a truly multidisciplinary agency. In 2007, the French agency was set up under the Yellow Window brand, and in 2013, Yellow Window became its common name and sole identity for its product, service and policy design activities throughout the world. Richard Ellebeck is global acoustic consultant with Buzzy Space. Richard has a major in psychology and a minor in sound technology at Rhodes University in South Africa. He worked as an acoustic consultant for seven years with a focus on improving acoustics in a variety of corporate and office settings before joining Buzzy Space more than a year ago. He's an accredited speaker for both CEU and CPD programs, helping designers, architects and facility managers gain knowledge about the importance of acoustics at the start of every project. Richard also supports the Buzzy Space product management team with advice and recommendations in the development of new acoustic products, including acoustic testing and calculating performance rates. Additionally, he advises the internal and external sales teams on acoustics. Welcome to the show, Axel and Richard. Hello, Simon. Thanks for having us, Simon. You're very welcome, and thank you for taking the time to share a conversation with us today. Let me ask you both, Axel, starting with you, whereabouts are you located today? I'm in north of Antwerp, a little village called Brascat, and uh, it's very strange about it is that about 30% is uh, Dutch, and all the rest is Flemish. Oh, and which so part are you? I'm 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 Belgian. Ah, okay. Uh, but I'm living in Flanders, and I'm I'm a mixture. I was raised in France, and I went to school in Flemish. And Richard, are you in a town where you're speaking your mother tongue? Uh, I I wish I was in a town. I'm in the the south of London. Uh huh. Um, not not too far from the city centre. So if if anyone listening hears any cars in the background, they can just know that's Old Kent Road, which is not too far off from me. Um, but yes. It is a country of my mother tongue, although it's not the country of my birth. And in the introdu- introduction that I recorded before the show, I spoke of how the, of the work that Buzzy Space does and the work that Axel Enthoven does with Yellow Window. Axel, one of the things I, was, I read about you is it says that Axel Enthoven was born in Antwerp and went to school in Antwerp, studied industrial design at the Academy of Industrial Design in Eindhoven, went on to qualify at the Japanese design school, the Silesian 
Technical College in Tokyo and later studied engineering in Cleveland, Ohio. You've got East, West and Europe in there. And these days your team, I looked on your website, I love the way it said consists of women and men. It didn't say men and women. Well done there. It says of women and men with different cultures from different walks of life. Its members bring together a spectrum of know-how, expertise and experience, blending creativity, technical skill economics and social and political sciences. So it seems you went from a very global beginnings to a company today that's also very global. Can you tell us more about that journey, please, Axel? We are all people, all the family are people I've traveled a lot. And uh, I have uh, quite a a few books about the family. So I know that uh, some went very far. I have family in, in South Africa. I have family in the US. I have family in London, even mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in France, Germany. And so we are, in fact, uh, people who always were traveling and tried to find uh, uh, some inspiration abroad. And uh, also, it's the most fascinating thing is to know your world, not your country, because your country is, uh, and definitely in Belgium, you're quite fast through because it's so small. But even there, you have a lot of variety and uh, tremendous variety culturally, but also um, psychologically. Uh, also, people are living in, in the north, they're living in advanced time, and the south is uh, living a little bit in the past. And <laughs> if you compare that with a lot of products or uh, fashion or behaviors, you see that uh, it's quite interesting to see that sometimes in one country you have two generations uh, with the difference of 10 years which is quite a lot, even in a fast world we are living today. So today I, I was working from home uh, due, due to the COVID-19, uh, Corona, and uh, our office is closed. Everybody is walk, working from home, and now I'm a little bit uh, quite curious how it, will, uh, how it will continue in the future because a lot of my people love to work at home. Uh, seems quite uh, optimistic that it can continue to working home, but in design you have to touch, you have to smell, you have to 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 have discussions, and I must honestly say I'm from the older generation. I prefer human contact and uh, be there, see the reactions in the eyes, and hear what they say, which is not always easy uh, when you just we are speaking about noise, well, uh, or sound, well. Sound is for me just not enough. It's interesting you say that because there was a poll recently done by Deloitte in the UK and it was saying that even post-pandemic, they expect 32% of workers, so a third of workers, to continue working from home. And in fact, there's a theory that we're discussing. We've been discussing this with the Wellbuilding Institute and various acousticians who've appeared on the program. They're saying that in order to, you know, people have become very cosy in their homes mm-hmm. and buildings Absolutely. and companies to entice people back into the workspace are going to have to sort of demonstrate that, look, we've addressed the workspace. We've made differences in this space. We want to make people who come back to work go, wow, this is a better place to be. This is a nicer place to be. And of course, acoustics in a workspace is one of the key things that you can address to increase well-being. But people have often thought, and I'm going to direct this question towards you, Richard, with Buzzy Space. People have often had the perception that to improve a space acoustically means to make it ugly, but we know that's a fallacy. We know that's not true. Buzzy Space creates beautiful visual furniture. 
with wonderful acoustic properties and benefits. Richard, tell us more about your theories on this return to the office conundrum that we're looking at here that Axel has raised, and also maybe explain a little bit more about what Buzzy Space does, if you wouldn't mind, please. Sure thing, Simon. Uh, you know, there's there's really so much we could talk on the on the topic. I mean, we did quite a bit of research last year in terms of the future ways of hybrid working. Um, and what really to expect in terms of the return back to the office. Um, but in terms of the, the products themselves and the types of materials, I think it's important to understand when we're trying to address noise levels in any kind of a work setting. So the best way to, to address that is actually to introduce absorption into the space. When we talk about reducing the noise levels and really balancing the room acoustics, um, it's about ensuring that you have an equal quantity, if you could say, of hard reflective materials uh, versus soft and porous materials. The, the subject itself is quite context specific and it can be a bit complex, but when you break it down conceptually to its its core components, that is, that's essentially what you're doing is a balancing act. Now, I think 20, 10, 20, even 30 years ago, um, there were people manufacturing acoustic solutions. Um, but those would normally just to be mounted uh, flush against the wall or potentially some items suspended from the ceiling. Um, and those were really, uh, I'd hate to use the word design, but they were really created purely just with function in mind. So there wasn't a lot of aesthetic consideration. Um, acoustics in the, in the office space, um, by and large, for a long time, had been treated just by using acoustic ceiling tiles. Um, but that's not necessarily an entire solution on its own. So bearing in mind that conceptually all we're trying to do is find a way in to introduce this absorptive material into the space, it made a lot of sense not just to look at it conventionally in the form of wall-mounted panels and ceiling-suspended elements, but rather to consider how can we get this material into the space in an aesthetic manner uh, and potentially even um, ascribe some added functional value from that material. So instead of a panel on the wall or the ceiling, you could have acoustic furniture, which is essentially, uh, by and large, soft furniture, um, soft architecture that people can sit on, that you can perhaps potentially collaborate in. Um, but it's because it's fabric upholstered, because you need to use um, very soft, porous materials, um, the two really go hand in hand when you consider soft seating and furniture um, and acoustic treatment. So a lot of what we try to do at Buzzy Space is do exactly that. Introduce the material into the space, make it slightly more functional if it's in the form of uh, acoustic furniture or even in the form of acoustic lighting. Um, I think that's something that's that's really seeing a lot of growth over the past couple of years. When you look at your lighting, generally you want your lighting to be in very close proximity to occupants in the space. That's to ensure that they have adequate uh, lux levels and illumination on their tabletop. Now, one of the basic principles of um, acoustic treatments is you always want to try and put your absorption as close as possible to the source of the sound, which is inherently people that are in the space. So the fact that we've already got these lighting elements that are suspended from the ceiling a lot of the time, they're in close proximity to people, um, it's really a no-brainer to see if you can make those, those uh, products out of acoustic material that's going to give you absorption in addition to the lighting that the product's already offering. So that's a lot of what we've been doing. Um, we've been very fortunate um, in the sense that we've been able to partner uh, with a, a number of incredible designers. Um, very fortunate that Axel is, is one of them who's joined us for this call. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really through those designers 
they've been able to look at the materials that we need to use and really create and shape products um, that, as I said, are not just functional, that aren't, that aren't just very uh, performant in terms of their absorption, um, but it also look good in a space. What we ideally want is when a person walks into a room, they shouldn't be able to identify straight away, that's an acoustic product, this is an acoustic product. That's what you could do in the past when you were looking at these wall or ceiling mounted items. But the more decorative and the more aesthetic we can make these solutions, the more appealing they are to specifiers, the more appealing they are to people who are using the space. Um, and it really just ties into the overall user experience. A lot of the time, the acoustics is an afterthought. Um, and as I said, there's no way to go about it other than to bring that material into the space. So if we're going to bring anything into the room, we need to ensure that we can do it in a way that's in keeping with the design vision um, and the overall aesthetic that people already have planned for, for that space. Does that present a difficult challenge to you, Axel? I know that you've designed, for example, the Buzzy Me armchair, which is an acoustic chair. Is it difficult to keep things visually aesthetic whilst uh, increasing their acoustic performance? No, it's not so difficult as that. It helps you to to find a direction. And, you know, design is, in fact, only make a choice of different possibilities. It's not more than that. Uh, for instance, one of the examples, you, you can work, of course, with materials, but you could also work with frequencies. And, for instance, the chair we developed for uh, a busy space could be reinvented if you put some speakers into the two ears you have and you send some frequencies. It can do probably a complete different and even more professional approach to, uh, to avoid noise. And these are ways that uh, I think should be used also in bathrooms because a bathroom, most of the time you have tiling, which is a horrible reflection on the, the pure window uh, surfaces you get there, uh, reflects also noise. So that's, that's another problem where uh, maybe with new technologies we can f provide systems to avoid uh, disturbing noises because noise can be also something positive if it is and then we call it the sound uh which is quite in, in, interesting to to always use this, the the different possibilities and then make a, a smart uh, decision adding sound masking technology to furniture in some ways then is that what you're suggesting yes there? Yes, and uh, they use it also sometimes for people who have problems uh, in beds uh, by hearing always the sound. Uh, it's I, I forget the name of the disease, but uh, it's it's really a Tinnitus. problem. Tinnitus. Exactly, and exactly, and that we uh, we have solved already with uh, with sending other frequencies, which which really helps. But it's of course still in uh, quite the first stage of development. You're a highly awarded and recognized uh, designer. Can I ask, we've got a lot of people who listen to this show who are apprentices and uh, they're beginning their careers and they'll look at, uh, they'll listen to a show like this with, with you on it and thinking, how do you get started in that career and how do you get, get to do what you're doing yourself? What would you say about your career and what might you say to the young you? What advice would you give to apprentices moving through um, design disciplines and design careers? I have uh, two uh, two things I would like to tell the young guys. First of all, continue to learn because it's uh, it's it's a profession where you really have always to put everything uh, on the future and try to know what's going on. Uh, and international, uh, 
But on the other side, you have to go look backwards because the biggest problem of the younger generation today is that they don't know their history. They don't know even their history on their products. Uh, I did a lot of uh, exams with students and I, I discovered, and this is worldwide, it's not typically for Europe, but uh, in the States, in the Far East, definitely. Mm -hmm. Even in the Far East, they know more about the history which happens in the design evolution in Europe than, than our own students here in Europe. So I think it's very important to look backwards and to see some reasons why something came up. History is also a point, that, but that's, that's, that's a fact. But know what was done and the reasons why it was done. Uh, it had to do with the choice of the materials. It had to do with the norms. It had to do with increasing of population. It had to do with health. But it's always based on the user. And so that is very important. Mm -hmm. Learn, 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 and be awake. Another thing where I'm extremely afraid of, uh, when I started, my difficulty was to explain what was industrial design. A lot of people could even not write the word to tell you honestly. And uh, so I had to mm -hmm. battle. I was missionary in, in, my, in my profession. Today, the biggest problem for a younger designer is that it's very fashionable. Everybody wants to study industrial design. So there is a little bit too much uh, of uh, people choosing that direction. But on the other hand, you have so much facilities. You can go everywhere with this profession. You can do a lot of other uh, professional uh, jobs with the knowledge that you learned in uh, the design schools. But coming back for the risk is, if you may try to think that you have something unique, you should be really very careful with it because most of the time, due to the fact that the world is getting smaller, that the information on television, on magazines, on uh, uh, social media is so fast and so great that the danger is that you get, in fact, inspired by things who are existing and you forget sometimes that you have seen it already and you think it's your own ID. That's the biggest danger, which is uh, a little bit for the difficult situation for the younger people who wants to get designer and uh, do, uh, do a job which is not always easy. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's such a pleasant job and uh, I think we may be extremely lucky that we have something which is pleasant and, and the most of the designers, they like their job. They even like it much more than uh, having it as a purpose to gain money. And that's the nice thing about it. When did you graduate, uh, Richard? Um, and how would you respond to Axel's answer there? Did it make you, make you think of anything there? Uh, I think it's an, an exceptionally good answer. Um, aside from the design field, I think that really applies to anything. Um, when you, you're looking at coming up with new ideas and innovating, you, you absolutely have to be aware of what was done before. Um, and what were the decisions um, and, and the processes that went into, um, you know, things that were developed in the past? My my father um, is actually an industrial designer um, by trade, and um, he he started his own business about 26 years ago, uh, designing, manufacturing, and installing uh, corporate office furniture. Like like father, like son. <laughs> I, would, I would never consider myself a designer. <laughs> But I, I, I definitely always had a, an appreciation um, for my father's ability to, to break things down to their core components, understand how they're put together, um, and also just fabricate new ideas. It's, it's one thing to have an idea. Um, it's another thing to be able to break it down into all the nuts and bolts 
and um, apply critical thinking, creative thinking, um, to actually determine what is the best way to put this thing together. And even after that, there's a lot of value engineering that goes into it. I think when we talk about design, people think purely visually. Um, but a lot of what he was doing, and you have to do it repeatedly and consistently as you're going along, is value engineering. Um, a lot of the time that can come down to cost or perhaps using more uh, sustainable materials. Um, but, you know, the one thing I really, you know, appreciate regarding what Axel said a moment ago was everything comes back to the user. Um, and I, I think that's that's really a very true reflection of what we're trying to consider at Buzzy Space at the same time is we're talking about acoustics and we're talking about functionality and performance and all of those things are important. Um, but when it comes to the, the buying decision, um, people need to have a positive feeling um, about the product um, and about whether it's going to fit in the space. Mm. And although they'll listen to the technical detail, although the performance and all those things do matter, at the end of the day, the, the driving decision I find by and large is an emotive one. Um, and it's really, really driven by how people feel about it. So that's a lot of what we've been trying to do is create these visually appealing, uh, bright um, products that we can introduce into a space um, that really people have a positive uh, feeling about while at the same time ensuring that we we maintain the performance. Well, that's certainly something I found personally really attractive when I visit the Buzzy Space website. I'm looking at a selection of furniture which I'd honestly happily have in my home, but I wouldn't necessarily be looking at it as uh, an acoustic solution. And you're talking about, um, you know, the emotive connection to the piece. But what I'd like to know with you is that must present some challenges. People are looking through your website. They know that it's an acoustic solution, but they can't see what kind of solu acoustic solution it necessarily provides. Although you have created an, 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 uh, a clever mobile application which enables uh, shoppers at Buzzy Space to know what furniture they can use in a space to achieve what acoustic results. Could you tell us a bit more about this application, please, and how it helps your shoppers? Sure. So acoustics is a branch of physics. You know, it's it's a physical phenomenon in terms of the sound waves. Um, it's something we can measure, but people can't see it. The app really allows us to quantify the problem, um, which up until that point is largely intangible. People can hear that perhaps they've got too much reverberation in the space. Um, that can affect their core quality. It, it can also lead to increased noise levels. So part of what we like to do is, is for people to go onto the website, have a look at all the products, see what um, really appeals to them, what, what products they feel that they particularly connect with. Um, and then the next question really is, well, how much of that product is required in order to resolve the issue? So one of the best ways to do that um, is really to build that function into an app. The, the app has, has two parts to it. The, the first part is diagnostic. And the second part is prescriptive. So for the di diagnostic part, you you use the application. All you need is a, a balloon on your, on hand and an extra set of hands to help you. Um, when you pop the initial balloon, the application registers the initial balloon burst. That's mm -hmm. what would be called your sound impulse. And then it measures how long it takes for those sound waves to decay uh, or drop in volume by 60 decibels. The more reflective and more reverberant your environment is, um, the more those sound waves will continue to bounce around and reflect around and the longer your reverberation time would be. So once you've done that initial reading, uh, you'll, it, it shows all the information graphically. And yeah. that's one of the easiest ways to explain things is, you know, language can be very specific, um, you know, depending on the language you're speaking. 
Um, but fortunately, when it comes to numeracy and numbers and graphs, that's really a, an international and a universal way of conveying the information. So right. you'll you'll have a, a line graph indicating what the reverberation time is at yeah. each of the different frequencies. Um, and you also need to enter the volumetric size of the room. So you generally need a laser measure so you can get the length and the width and the uh, ceiling height. Once you enter that in, um, it actually tells you whether that reverberation time uh, is acceptable. What a lot of people don't realize is um, your reverberation time is scalable uh, according to the size of the room. So as your room gets larger and larger in size, you can expect and you can actually make do with a longer reverberation time. But as the space starts to decrease in size, uh, the distance between the walls, the floor and the ceiling uh, starts to reduce as well. That's when you really need to aim for that lower reverberation time. So once you've done that, uh, the app can first tell you whether you do in fact have an acoustic issue or not. Um, if it shows that you do, then you go on to the second part, which is the prescriptive part. You've now diagnosed that you have an issue. Right. Um, and now you need to decide how much of the various elements you are interested in would be required in order to reduce the reverberation to an acceptable level, which is shown in the application itself. So what we've done is we've, we've built in a, a catalog um, in the application. We always advise people to have a, a physical catalog um, on hand. And then you can obviously go through uh, that catalog, looking at um, all the products that you like, identify the ones that you prefer, and then go into the app and start to actually add them into the calculation. Right. It's a fantastic tool in the sense that it allows you to avoid over-specifying where right. you are potentially putting in more product than you actually need. Um, and also at the same time, it allows you to avoid under-specifying where you're not putting enough in. We always have to explain to people that any amount of absorption you introduce into the space will make a difference. Um, but it can only really be perceived as an effective solution if people are able to hear that difference. There's no good in us being able to quantify the improvement unless that actually translates through to a person's subjective um, experience of the space in terms of being able to hear that the reverberation or the echo has been taken away, you've got better call quality and you've got um, reduced noise levels. That's really what the aim is. But people's um, perception also varies quite a, good, uh, quite a bit from person to person. Some people have more sensitive ears. Um, other people actually prefer to have a slightly more uh, noisy environment. If you're extroverted, um, you prefer to have more stimuli uh, from your environment, both visual and auditory. And if you're introverted, in order to maintain your focus and your concentration um, and a, a general sense of well-being, mm -hmm. you need to have less uh, sensory stimuli from your environment. And so all these small factors that make things very complex, every single room will have its own um, architectural properties and that'll affect its acoustic properties. Um, people in the space can use rooms differently. Is it an office space? Is it a meeting room? Um, and then, like I said, also, you know, on a, on a personal and a subjective level, um, people's ears have varying degrees of sensitivity. That's why I think a lot when designers are looking at the space planning um, of their offices, they're aware of this. And um, a lot of companies try and identify whether their employees are, are introverted or extroverted um, just so they can determine you know, which is the, the most appropriate setting um, or work environment to place them in.
That's really incredible. I can see now how someone who did a Bachelor of Arts focused on psychology and philosophy and sound technology <laughs> ended up becoming a global acoustic consultant at Buzzy Space. The two seem Absolutely. to go very hand in hand. You know, I always decided I wanted to study psychology. Um, it had always been a, a field of particular interest for me. Um, it was only later that I really realized that um, – you know, studying psychology, you don't necessarily need to practice it in the conventional sense. It can be very um, emotionally daunting having to help and, and deal people, uh, help people deal with their issues and their problems. Uh, but what I found is when you do study psychology, and there's more people than you'd think um, that have had, you know, some course on it, mm -hmm. it's something that you can really apply um, across your life. It's a lens through which you're able to interpret things, you know, and Acoustics, we're talking about sound. It has an impact on people. We can objectively quantify it. Um, but psychoacoustics is really where we shine a light on the subjective experience. Yes, we know the space is noisy. How does that affect people differently? Um, the same thing can be done for light. That's what you see when we talk about color therapy and people understanding and designers understanding that they use different types of color in different areas uh, to really promote uh, different types of mindsets, whether you want a person to be more calm or whether you want them to be more uh, focused. So w when we talk about acoustics, you know, we and we've discussed it a lot, I think, quite um, objectively in mm -hmm. terms of the science behind it. Um, but when we talk about acoustics, it's really actually a conversation about well-being and it's a conversation about productivity. spoke earlier Axel about the multiple projects on your website but one of the things that I particularly really enjoyed was your planes trains and automobiles you design all sorts of transportation and Richard was talking about the stress how do you design in transportation to keep stress to a minimum and does acoustics play an important role in that uh, acoustic can play a role it's not the primary role because the primary role is uh, feeling secure uh, the biggest problem, for instance, by metros is that people don't know if they're going to have the time to leave the metro. Uh, and I mean, and the wagons. Eh? Uh, so yep. uh, it's very difficult for designers to find a good, uh, a good routing. How people in, uh, how people get the messages from which stations going to come. So it's visual. And there, of course, the sound is also extremely important because you have your messages, which should be very clear. Now, to get clear uh, in a space which is not very big with a lot of people is quite a, a difficult challenge. Another thing where I would like also to point out is the, the, the age of the person. And uh, a lot of people are getting deaf by getting older, so automatically the sound is already reducted on one side. On the other side, you feel that the younger generation, when you see the, the, the pop concerts, they can... They, they can hear during more than 24 hours uh, sound who becomes noise and who become so high in decibels that you get really problems. So I think that the younger generation will have problems in the future. And uh, if we don't try to find solutions for that, I think it's not such a promising uh, future we can, uh, we can give them. So there is also a lot to do. Coming back to public transportation, you have a lot of different noises. You have the noises of frictions, you have vibrations, uh, you have engine noise, but you have also 
vibrations in the windows, which even give also, that's the reason why we use most of the time indirect lighting rather than direct lighting, because direct lighting, you see the vibrations. It's, it's like moving constantly yeah. and you get the motion sickness to that. So then you have, of course, the privacy noise that you say that it's forbidden in, uh, in the trains today of using your uh, hand-free mobile uh, because uh, it's annoying people. Uh, another thing is you have the wind and you have the music and you have the announcements. So you have a lot of variety in messages, a lot of variety in sources of noise. We are look more luxurious the transportation system becomes, like for instance, those TGVs, those trains from Grand Vitesse, high-speed trains. There, of course, they have a lot of investment in the rail construction and in the wheels. You have the, the, the next generation of noise reductant will be the monorails, where they don't going to use steel on steel, but they're going to use wheels with a lot of rubber, which are then friction with uh, metal, which is much easier. So there is a lot going on. Also in planes, uh, people complain a lot when you live near to an airport, but also inside the new planes are half as noisy than, than in the past. So everywhere and everybody who is concentrated on developing new products is busy on also how to can we reduce noise because it gives also a recognition of quality and and and, and luxury you see it in the more a car is expensive most of the time it's going to give you a, a very pleasant uh, feeling to have no noise around you and it calms you you have, of course, uh, car freaks who like exactly to have uh, the noise of a very strong, powerful engine. And you see, for instance, that some cars have speakers mm -hmm. for imitating if they have a diesel to imitate that you have a normal combustion uh, <laughs> motor. So that's that's uh, the, the, the unlogical things which happen in, in our society. But it's true to get calm. To get relaxed, noise is, of course, one of the basic elements you will always have to take care for. Do you think as well that um, because acoustics can elevate the perception of luxury, you know, there's a lot of people who say, I don't want to use my car to go to work. I want to reduce my carbon footprint. I want to go on public transport, but I don't like it because it's, you know, I like my car, I like my comfort. Are you doing, is anything being done to elevate uh, public transport to make it more luxurious so more people who like a luxury car leave their cars behind a bit more definitely that was one of the goals when we developed the tram of brussels uh first of all we had to write a story uh you know every product needs a story today and uh, the story for the tram because i had to invent the story because to pursue the the, the operators but also the public uh, uh authorities that Without the story, you cannot build up a new a new vision on a product. So the vision for the Tramor Brussels was very, very easy. You have the Art Nouveau style, which Brussels had in the, that's typically the years of 80, 70 till the 1910, mm -hmm. and with a lot of floral elements and so on. And uh, the architecture of Brussels, a lot of streets have that style and uh, are recognized just as the same as you have in Prague, in Paris, and uh, even uh, in uh, the in, in some cities like, uh, for instance, uh, 
Turkey, you have also a lot of uh, Art Nouveau houses. And that's interesting that we said uh, tram is a moving piece of architecture in a city. It's also iconic. And so the idea was why not translate the elements of a certain style, which was Art Nouveau, what the German calls Jugendstil, and transpose that into a vehicle, namely the tram. And then we were suggesting, instead of using uh, plastic for the seats covering or fabric or velour, uh, we say, why not use leather, which is, of course, looking luxurious, but it's also much more ecological because it stays much longer. You, The lifetime of leather is at minimum of 15 years. By the best fabrics, it's uh, after 10 years. You also, for hygiene reasons, you should you should uh, change it. Mm-hmm. But also, when you clean the tram, it's with uh, heat and uh, and water damp. And the idea of it is to clean it in one hour. If you clean fabric with steam, and and automatically the the chair gets wet and has to dry 24 hours. So. It's much easier and sometimes it's much better to have materials which are a little bit more expensive but are more durable but also easier to clean, more hygienic. And the top of it is that we reduced the vandalism with more than 40%. It was proven because people get respect for luxury. Wow. That's when, And that is something which uh, I already tried now in many cities where vandalism is quite high, like you have Rotterdam, Amsterdam, you have some suburbs of Paris. And every time, how nicer you make it, how more comfortable you give you, you give the appearance, how more people respect it. And you see that vandalism is dropping tremendously. And we have done really uh, calculated tests with uh, the Trammer Brussels, and we have a reduction of 40%. So the price, which should have been, I think, 3% higher, only on the, concerning the, the covering material of the seat, was uh, already gained again in less than two months' time. That's amazing. You should do a paper on that, Axel. Luxury and vandalism. We did. We did. It, it, was, it was done in, in every newspaper when the tram came out uh, uh-huh. because I had, I had a fight with the Minister of Transportation and uh, he said, oh, Axel, don't do it. They're going to scar it and uh, they're going to damage it. I said, no, they're going to react exactly the opposite. It's going to diminish the vandalism. People are going to respect it. It's like... An ashtray, when it's full, you will start to get ashes on the floor. If you clean always the ashtray, you will be sure there will be nothing on the floor. These are human reactions and you have to take care of that and uh, and think on those little psychological uh, solutions. It's like freak economics, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Richard, talking of these, uh, spend a little bit more to gain a positive reaction. Uh, is that something that you would face in selling acoustic furniture? Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, I think um, when we when we have a discussion with clients, you know, from a project to project basis, um, I always generally ask them, what is your hierarchy of priorities? And and I really break it down into three core things. There's, there's price, uh, there's performance, and there's aesthetic. Now, depending on the space, depending on the client, uh, depending on the issue, um, their hierarchy of priorities might be slightly different. Um, if we're dealing with a large call center um, where you've got a, a huge number of people, it's a very large space, there's a lot of absorption you need to introduce. Perhaps they didn't have a budget because they didn't foresee an acoustic issue. 
that's the kind of setting where where price is the is the highest and you know the driving factor. And there we would try and come up with solutions very cost effective. If if it's a meeting room or a boardroom, um, let's say it's one that's got a lot of glass, lots of beautiful natural light, parquet flooring. Why not add in a glass boardroom table and a wonderful uh, bulkhead ceiling with a very nice detail? Fantastic in appearance, absolutely terrible in terms of actual performance because those are all very hard and reflective materials. In that kind of a space, um, that room has been designed as a, a teleconferencing venue. That's its intended purpose. Mm. If, if you can't make a call out of that space um, because people can't hear you clearly, that entire room has been wasted. That's the type of context where performance would, uh, you know, be the the highest or the, the most important factor because they've got a definite issue and their main concern is resolving this issue so they can actually use the space for what they intended. And and then as a last example for aesthetics, we're dealing with um, a project in a hospitality setting. You know, say for instance, you've got a hotel lobby, um, and there they are looking for some decorative upholstered. Um, uh, objects to introduce into the space. Perhaps they want to suspend something from the ceiling because they've got a multi-volume space um, and they really uh, appreciate the acoustic lighting. Now, in that type of a context, you know, an hotel lobby, it, it's not uh, a work, a functional workplace. It's not a work setting. So there it, it's, you can make do with a slightly higher reverberation time. Um, you might want a little bit of a buzz, a little bit of a conversation mm-hmm. in your in your lobby or in your foyer. So that that's the type of space where you know a client they they're looking at acoustic solutions. They might not be looking at them primarily for the acoustic benefit, although that is of secondary benefit. And um, they might be primarily just looking for something decorative and something right. aesthetic. And in that instance, you know, so based on those conversations, we can get a very clear idea as to what type of products. Um, are really addressing the core need of the client because not everyone has the same sense of taste uh, when it comes to design and aesthetic. Um, and obviously, you know, projects can vary quite substantially in terms of the budget that's available. Um, and in, we've also got to think in terms of the existing deck or some people, they would prefer our acoustic interventions to be as minimal um, uh, as possible, as in they blend into the background. You don't see them, um, you know, try and obscure them on the ceiling or uh, put very, um, you know, simple, um, not too bright or vivid uh, colors or objects into the space. And in other spaces, they've got a lot of available wall space. They didn't really consider um, what kind of art or decor they want on the wall. They've got an acoustic issue and now they appreciate the opportunity, not just to resolve that issue, but to also create a decorative and a visual piece, um, you know, that can can really add to the decor in the space. I would like to hear from uh, Richard his comment concerning uh, what I also already mentioned a little bit before. It's the, the, the change of generation, people from the younger generation, I'm thinking I'm 18 till 22, 22 to 25, 25 to 35. How does it, imp- how does it uh, interfere in, uh, in, in, in the sound control? Because uh, Everybody is getting older. Everybody ha- gets also annoyed by too much noise. Mm. Uh, and uh, definitely it's great to have your grandchildren home, 
but mm. at a certain time and rapidly you get uh, you you get you got enough from it because it's uh, it's shaking you completely mm. it's high frequency they make a lot of noise they drop mm. it a lot of so how i think it's also a field to uh, to, to do research on and to see how we can implement higher quality there, uh, higher quality uh, solutions. Absolutely. I think, you know, the one thing I would touch on um, in response to that, and this is something that's really been very overlooked, is, is office etiquette. Office etiquette is very, very important. The, the majority of the noise and the sound that we're experiencing in the office is produced from people uh, talking and conversing. So it's not just a matter of telling people they can't have conversations. Um, it's more about setting the appropriate context. If you need to collaborate or you need to have a conversation, go to the, one of the breakout areas. Go to a collaboration zone. Go to the cafe. It's about being mindful and being aware of your colleagues, of their needs, um, and making sure that if you are going to have a conversation, that it's not a disturbance to anyone else. And that really does come down to the office etiquette. And that's something that each company really needs to drive in its own way. Um, it's very difficult to generalize because everyone is an individual and uh, different companies have a slightly different ethos and a different way of going about it. You know, you're 29, I'm 52, and I come from a generation where the beginnings of my working was all done on the phone. And so I'm very used to pick up a phone and discuss it. I almost sometimes think, oh, I'm not going to write an email about this. I just want to talk to someone to to do it. And so I, I've been in offices where I've looked around and the few people that were over 45 were walking around on the phones and you hardly ever saw the 20-somethings pick up the phone to make a phone call. In fact, I even did sales training sessions where I would say to 20-something generation, have you tried calling this person and like calling them? Yep. No, I, I emailed yep. them. I me- we are the messenger generation. I think there's a certain degree of comfort and security that people find in being able to communicate um, behind a screen. Um, when you're in a conversation, it's live. You know, you can take back what you've said, but technically you've already said it, you know, and you've, you've got to be attentive and, and people are much more aware of the focus and the attention that's on them when they're having a conversation with someone and, um, you know, that person is looking at them. Well, it's much easier just to hide behind a phone and a screen and send people messages. Um, I, I find it quite disturbing myself just to consider the amount of time that I spend on my phone now mm-hmm. compared to 10 years ago. Even even when I was 18, um, I wasn't spending nearly as much time um, on my phone as I am nowadays. I, I'm like you, Simon. I prefer a face-to-face conversation. Um, it's much more to the point, quicker, um, and my preferred way of, of communicating. There's, there's so much that's lost um, when you don't have tonality, when you don't have any body language uh, to go along with the communication. So good communication is not just about saying, you know, what you feel and what you think. Um, it's also about all the other um, subtle uh, things, like I said, your, your tone and your body language that goes along with it, that's able to effectively convey, um, you know, what you're feeling or what you're trying to say. Does this ring true at Yellow Windle, Axel? Axel, is there a difference between younger and older generations on the telephone and ways of working? Oh, definitely. And they hate to phone. <laughs> the younger generations really hate to phone because they uh, they prefer to send an email. Uh, and so they don't have to uh, to react too rapidly. 
mm. and they have the time to think about. And I said sometimes, you never hear exactly what's going on. You don't know if the guy is uh, angry, if he's, uh, if he's pleasant, if he's uh, happy with what we did, or if he's very angry. Mm. Uh, on the phone, you can hear it, but not on your email. And uh, sometimes people are very prudent to write down because something which is written down has a complete different uh, uh, value than, so, than than spoken word. So I think what, what we experience really more and more and more how younger the generation is, how less they like to phone. They, that's the reason mm. why they don't phone with their handy, they just mail with their handy. When we do start working together in collaborative spaces, does that mean... Can that mean that a generation get blocked out of a conversation or don't contribute as much to solutions maybe as an older generation who are more comfortable on the phone? Or do you think that there's an awareness that they need to be encouraged to have a voice and that and made them, their opinions made welcome? It, it's something which which I experienced all due to we are, I'm, I'm now... Uh... I started my office uh, 47 years ago, and and when you see the, the the because I'm always trying to refresh some part of the of the personnel and get younger uh, people in because the the world is changing and you have to listen very careful what what's going on and. Uh, the younger generation keeps you fit. The younger generation keeps you alert. So they have a lot of lot of uh, of very positive. Uh, uh, added value in, in, in a team and uh, like I also believe in, in, in a very good partition and a very good equilibrium between uh, uh, female and, and, and male it's, yeah. it's very 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 important and of course you, you feel the changes uh, I, had, I, had, I was happy to uh, I was professor during 24 years and always had people from a certain age because once they started so it was extremely uh, captivating to see uh, how generations are shortening that means that uh, in my time a generation was at least 15 years today uh, it's it's really some, sometimes just 12 months yeah. uh, a person from mm-hmm. 14 years is completely different as 15 and 13 and they they, they read different things mm-hmm. they listen to different things they have a complete different approach Axel has mentioned that every product that gets designed these days needs a story you've both mm-hmm. been very kind to sharing stories which have fascinated me today thank you again for taking so much time to share them with with us and with our listeners on the quiet mark podcast it's been a real pleasure having you both thank you very much for your time thank you simon Thank you to Axel and Richard for taking time to share their experience, knowledge and stories with us. What a great contribution to the Quiet Mark podcast. And of course, Buzzy Space's products, their acoustic furniture and acoustic lighting, isn't just for commercial workspaces. With many of us working from home, we're all looking for ways to improve the acoustics in our residential properties. And Buzzy Space is available to our home offices just as much as our workspaces. And on the subject of home improvements and home offices, Buzzy Space is going to be one of seven brands joining us for Grand Designs Live Ask an Expert weekend on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Alongside Buzzy Space, Grower, Baswell Acoustic, Candine Design Flooring, Rockwall, Novi and Valent will be on hand to offer expert advice in the form of free half-hour consultations which you can register for. Head over to quietmark.com 
go to our events page and you'll see Grand Designs Live is the first story on the events page. And on that page, you'll find more information about the event with links on how to register and news of Quiet Marks Acoustics Academy being an official partner of the Grand Designs Live event is one of several stories featured in Quiet Times, your Sonic News Bulletin. Issue 1, our brand new free online newsletter which went out last Friday 14th of May. If you'd like to subscribe to future issues of Quiet Times, head over to our website where you'll find banners inviting you to sign up for free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Quiet Mark podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, perhaps take a moment to check out some of our previous episodes and also stay tuned for future episodes. We've got some great conversations to share in the pipeline. But until then, thanks for listening. Take care, stay safe and bye for now. Bye bye.